Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode 327 of Charlotte Reader's Podcast Beyond 300. I'm here today with uh, my co-host Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue, and we have got a spectacular lineup for you today. Yeah, we sure do. In this episode, we're going to feature a New York Times bestselling author, Steve Barry, in his novel, The Last Kingdom, which is the 17th novel in the Cotton Malone thriller series, in which the discovery of a lost historical document challenges the global might of the United States. Up next, we have a two-minute tip from Charlotte Litt and Paul Reale, and this is part three of his series, um, Putting Detail in Scenes, and this is about when to focus on detail. And we've also got uh, Tammy Uliano, author of her second medical thriller, Misfire, uh, and the title of her blog post is Challenges of a Critique Group. Then we're going to finish up our episode today with our reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and what's coming in the next episode. Yeah, but uh, first, uh, what's up with these podcast books? I mean, we just heard about this thing in a February 14th Valentine's Day book massacre that we sent out to to let y'all know that, uh, you know, we got this thing going and everything. Well, as you may have heard, we've got uh, eight quote books from the first four and a half years of the podcast coming out that we're calling the Right Quote Series. Uh, They're releasing this year, and they cover a wide variety of writing and bookmarking topics and the... uh, Book One, The Writing Life, is uh, online, and it's free now wherever books are sold. You can get that ebook uh, for free, and did I say free? Uh, we really are excited uh, to share these quotes. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, the quotes are inspirational. They're practical. A lot of them are funny. You we were just talking before we started recording about one of our favorite anecdotes from one of the quotes in the books. Um, there's a huge variety of authors, too, 500-plus podcast interviews that we're pulling from with hardworking, award-winning, New York Times bestselling authors. These authors come from more than 33 states and five countries, so there's something in there for everyone. Yeah, as you were just saying that, I could hear my dog in the background barking. She's like, yes, yes. <laughs> woo, woo, is what she was saying. Um, it's in, there, in the first book in the series is free, which is awesome. Who doesn't love free stuff? We all love free things, free inspiration. There's no excuse to not order this. And so, and if you do and you like what you're reading, um, we would love it if you'd leave a review so we can help spread the word. Yeah, and you can also um, pre-order the other books in the series now. Uh, we're giving you that first one free. Uh, the others, uh, not that expensive, but uh, when you do purchase them, you can uh, support the podcast when you do it. Just a quick rundown right quick. Uh, we had so much coming out of these quotes, uh, uh, couldn't make it into one book. And we had to divide it up. So here, here's a list of some of the topics. Well, all the topics we cover in book two. Uh, the title is Learning to Write. Book three, Writing Process and Tools. Book four, Storytelling, Inspiration, and Research. Book five, this is the longest of all the books, Writing Techniques and Characters. I mean, there's so many different techniques that writers discussed. Uh, It's really wonderful. Book six, Writing Community, Revision, and Editors. Book seven, The Emotional Writing Journey. Book eight, Publishing and Book Marketing. You'll hear uh, or read forwards uh, from Sarah and Hannah in these books. Uh, You'll have reflections by me in the back of the books because why not uh, spend four and a half years I'm going to reflect on something why not do it on all these quotes and all this stuff that I learned 
Yeah, these quotes really cover every stage of the writing process, and they reveal what it really feels like to be a writer. We hope you'll enjoy the free first book in the series about the writing life. Um, all other seven ebooks in this series are amazing, and there's going to be so many different bits and pieces of inspiration that you'll find from the many talented guests we've had on the show over so many episodes in the past couple of years. Um, it's just an endless vat of inspo, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you can, one other little uh, thing here um, if you're a Patreon supporter or you become a Patreon supporter, as little as five dollars a month, we're going to give you uh, all these books. We're going to give you one book a month for each month you're a member um, uh, going forward here, and uh, that's in addition to the 150 exclusive episodes you're going to get when you get access to that channel. So it's sort of like you know, it's kind of too good a deal. You know, let's let's do this thing. Plus, uh, you know, you're going to find some great uh, author quotes here. Uh, we will be putting them out on print eventually, but the first phase here is. Uh, ebooks uh that we're doing and uh yeah so check it out uh if you didn't see it in the newsletter uh sign up for our newsletter uh you can do that at the podcast website we'll uh have more information about that coming out and you know you can just google the the right quotes uh series um it's uh on all the vendor platforms out there um, and uh yeah so check it out all the authors who appeared on the podcast uh before january 31 2023 are quoted in one or more of these books and many of them in more of the books. So check it out. Um, yeah. So shifting here real quick, uh, do a little what's up with the co-host. Uh, if nothing's up, then nothing's up. <laughs> there might be something up. So <laughs> I know something's always up with you, Hannah. What's up, Hannah? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. I don't have a whole lot of exciting things to report. I was just summoned for jury duty. So I'm going to, you know. <laughs> do that and maybe i'll get some inspiration for a crime novel that i'll write in the future <laughs> yeah well if there are any if there are any podcast host uh on trial there you know or anything for our book uh the podcast i'll ask around with the story for us <laughs> i'll ask around yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring my notepad <laughs> yeah uh what about you uh sarah uh nothing quite that exciting mostly <laughs> <laughs> reading writing emails that's about it. <laughs> Nothing too yeah, new. Yeah. Well, y'all, you don't give yourself enough credit because y'all have been really helping me with, uh, we're doing all the editing and uh, about uh, this time we should have most of the editing done and hopefully we'll be then getting the word out on these books um, as we're doing now. And uh, for me, I, I'm same thing, uh, you know, podcasting and working on the Right Quote series. And also I'm going to be speaking at the uh uh, the Book Life Publishers Weekly um, online presentation thing they've got, a bunch of authors showing up. Check that out. You can go to the Book Life website and see it. It's, it's February 25th. Um, it's all day. Um, and also, if you're in Charlotte that same day in the afternoon, the guest that we're having on the show today, and you'll hear this in the interview, Steve Berry is actually going to be in Charlotte at Parker Books on uh, Saturday, February the 25th. Uh, well, that's what's up with everything. So uh, let's uh, hear about Libro and come back with Act One. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them. And when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and claim your free audiobook. All right, Act One. Uh, this is our interview feature. We have a uh, New York Times bestselling author, Steve Berry. His book is The Last Kingdom. This is the second appearance by Steve on the podcast. It was 
really enjoyed doing the interview. Uh, Sarah, can you tell us uh, about Steve? Yeah, sure. So Steve Berry is a New York Times and number one internationally bestselling author. He's written 16 Cotton Malone novels. This one, I believe, is the 17th. Uh, five standalone thrillers and several works of short fiction. He has 25 million books in print, translated into over 40 languages. That's incredible. Um, with his wife, Elizabeth, he's the founder of History Matters, which is an organization dedicated to historical preservation. And he serves as an emeritus member of the Smithsonian Library's Advisory Board. And he was a founding member of International Thriller Writers, formerly so- serving as its co-president. Yeah, I remember when I interviewed him the first time, I said he had just had just a few more books published than me, <laughs> uh, a few more sales. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. Too much. And, and, and yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, there's a great, a great quote you'll hear in this interview that I did because I asked him uh, what question uh, writers most ask him about writing. I'm not going to give you the answer now. You'll listen to it uh, in the interview here. Uh, Hannah, can you tell us about... Uh, yeah, and I'm excited to share this with my parents. They're huge Steve Berry fans. They've like, they love the first interview and I told them that he'd be back on this episode. They're like, yes, send us the link. Um, <laughs> this book is called The Last Kingdom and it's about King Ludwig II of Bavaria, who is an enigmatic figure who is de- deposed in 1886 um, and he mysteriously drowned three days later. He was eccentric to the point of madness and history tells us that in the years before he died, Ludwig and engaged in a worldwide search worldwide search for <laughs> I'm gonna have to like re- could be it could be a world wig search. I mean you know kings kings are wearing wigs. What was the one that you'd said in one episode that was like it was like Brenda like earwig or something? <laughs> Folks, Can you, do- you know I'm gonna have to tell you we're gonna keep the we're gonna keep the tape running here because Hannah first take here it was the world wig search. <laughs> <laughs> and the king, you know, the kings are kings are always searching for wigs, you know, because back in that day, that's so, so true. She had the I world think that's wig what search. this book is actually about, gonna, right, Steve? All right, his long I'm lost help, powdered wig. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna help I'm gonna help you out, Hannah. So he died uh, after his world wig search, uh, and uh, but he did search for a new kingdom, one that uh, was separate from Bavaria, a place he could retreat to and rule as he wished. But a question remains, did he succeed? So apologies to Steve Barry for that uh, I love introduction. You, Steve. Seriously. Uh, actually, like, this is, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Just, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to try to get our composure here, and we're going to jump right into the interview, and we'll be, we'll be right back. Steve Barry, welcome back to Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Good to be back. Yeah, and uh, now previously you were here, and uh, it was February of 2021 with your novel, The Kaiser's Web. Mm-hmm. It's a Cotton Malone adventure in which there's a secret dossier from World War II era Soviet spy, you know, situation threatens to, I guess, uh, I guess as the blurb goes, rewrite history and forever alter the political landscape of Europe. And so, hey, there you go. Now, but hey, we're now we're back. We're back in Germany again, and <laughs> it's just we're focused on a different part of Germany. We're uh, that part of Germany known as Bavaria. And I, I'll be curious, uh, how many of your novels involve this part of the world? And maybe then you could tell us a little bit about Bavaria in the 1800s and Bavaria today. Uh, well, of course, uh, I did five American thrillers. Uh, so they were basically American locales, American, uh, so what I call the so what of the novel. Uh, all of that was American. But then the rest of my novels, the other 17, are international thrillers. So they take place overseas. Germany's been a favorite place. I've, I did the Amber Room there. I've done uh, a couple of others where they've gone in and out of Germany. 
Uh, Kaiser's Web had a lot to do with Germany, dealt with German politics and all. But this book deals with one of my favorite places in the whole in all the world, and that's Bavaria. I love Bavaria. It's beautiful down there. It also deals with one of my uh, favorite historical characters, King Ludwig II, and his uh, three fairy tale castles. And I've I've been wanting to to put cotton in that and run, do a novel with it. And this book finally gave me that opportunity. Now you said you said in your afterward that. Uh... This is a book that you always wanted to write. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because I love both those things. Those things are very interesting. I've, I've, I've gone to Bavaria probably, I don't know, eight times maybe at least. I, I, it's been there a lot. And I love that part of the world. I love everything about it, particularly at Christmas time. It's quite magical over there at Christmas. It's really beautiful. Um, King Ludwig II was a, just a, a fascinating guy. If I ever got an opportunity to write a historical fiction, actual true historical fiction set in the past, I would probably do a book on King Ludwig II and, and his life. His life was, a, was amazing. He, you know, he mm. becomes king at a very young age of 18. Uh, he dies very young, uh, at you know just into his 40s. He's deposed. They actually take his thrown away from him. And three days later, he's dead. And to this day, we have no idea how he died. We still know, do not know. Um, along the way, he changed things. Along the way, he built some buildings and built some things that are quite remarkable and quite amazing. And they endure today. In fact, New Feinstein's the number one tourist attraction in the world. It inspired Walt Disney to create Sleeping Beauty's castle. That's where it came from, was there. Mm. So there's a lot of connection there, and it's something that I've always wanted to do, and I got to do it here. Well, I have these visions of these castles. You're describing them in the book. Uh, you know, our son was a big fan of the uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and I get this, you know, it sort of came out of that, uh, the Alps and the mountaintops and the Bavaria and the beautiful countryside and all that kind of thing. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, but th- but this is a much different story than Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> oh, a little bit different. Yeah, it deals with something real, something I stumbled across, and I can't say what it is because it's a surprise in the novel, but it's real. Uh, yeah. In fact, there's two things in the novel, and they're both real. And uh, it allowed me to tie together the novel and make it work and make what happened in 1883, 1886, still relevant today, you know, there's a race in this. There's a race between the United States, Germany, and China, and they're all after the same thing, but for a totally different reasons. And it's an interesting race across Bavaria to find all this. Yeah, and I know that you disclosed that around page 150, and I won't, I won't give it away, but I'm, I'm wondering, uh, and I'll cut this out if I do, if it's too, too close, but. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk, uh, this is part of the U.S. history I never knew much about, how the U.S. acquired uh, Hawaii. I don't yeah. know, you know, can you talk about that? Yeah, I can do that. That doesn't give away anything. Um, we basically stole it is what we did. We flat out stole it. We, uh, the Hawaii is the only state in America that was ruled by a monarch. We actually had a monarch rule, rule there. Sure, the, the original 13 colonies had that, but that was before the United States was actually created. It came along after that. But M- Hawaii was ruled by a royal family. It had been ruled by a royal family there for a long time, over 200 years. The, the Kamehameha family had ruled Hawaii. Uh, and the plantation owners there, who were the uh, pineapple plantation owners, the sugarcane plantation owners, who were all American, 
got together and deposed it. They just took it. We stole it. We basically just stole the state. Uh, we stole the, the whole, the, all of the land, everything, deposed the monarch and uh, claimed it as our own. Now, even at the time, there was great revulsion to that and great pushback to that by the Congress and by President Grover Cleveland and other folks. But they didn't give it back. They kept it. And uh, this novel deals with that that they kept it. But it also deals with something else, a connection between Hawaii and Germany, which is actually real. And that's that's really what was fascinating to me. And listeners, you'll have to read the book to, to find that out, and you'll be fascinated. That one they'll have to do. I can't give that away. <laughs> but uh, we can talk about the title, though. The title is The Last Kingdom. Uh, and, you know, Steve, if they made this into a movie, you're going to be competing with the Viking Netflix series uh, known as The Last Kingdom. None of you seen it, but uh, Uhtred, son of Uhtred. I have. <laughs> I have. I've seen Uhtred, Uhtred, and Uhtred. It's like everyone's named uh, Alfred or Uhtred. Right? Elf, Elf Thread or Elf Step right. or whatever, right. yeah. But uh, they, well, yeah. you'll just have to come with a, a good title when they make this into a movie. Uh, well, let's talk about the players for a second. Cotton Malone, uh, he's been in many of your novels, but you also bring in many U.S. government agencies here and many – sort of government agency type people from countries uh, around the world and uh, a lot of characters uh, competing for ink in this book, right? Well, there's a, this book is a little bit of a transition in Cotton's world. There's some new players coming into his life. Uh, Derek Coker is a, is a uh, CIA agent who comes into play here. We have, uh, uh, we're going to, we're meeting him. He'll actually be back in 2024. He's coming back uh, in, in the next, in the novel. Uh, Trinity Dorner is a new character who's coming into play. Uh, there's some evolution going on in Cotton's world because, you know, it's been 17 books now. Things need to evolve. Not everyone stays, everything stays the same. And this book represents that shift. President Warner Fox is changing. He's adapting. He's becoming better at his job. He's trusting the people under him. He's, he and Cotton are beginning to, to kind of wear on each other and kind of, kind of get along now. And so, there's the evolution going on in the characters, and that's what you have to do with the series. Things have to change and evolve, and this is a kind of a crossover book where we begin that change. Luke Daniels is in the book, and he's a big here. We're setting him up because he's coming back in June for his own adventure. He's going to get his own book in June, and there'll be three of those Luke Daniels adventures that I'm writing with the great thriller writer Grant Blackwood. So uh, uh, for the next three years, there's actually going to be two Steve Berry books a year. Are you, is this the first time you've done a co-writing situation? Not first time I've done it with a novel. I've done M.J. Rose and I did the Cassiopeia Vit novellas. And then I did a couple of uh, short stories, one with Diana Gabaldon, one with James Rollins. So I've done it before, but never with a full-length novel. And But luckily I had... A pro with Grant, and because he was a co-writer with Tom Clancy, and also with Jim Rollins, and with Clive Cussler, so he, he's good. He knows what he's doing. Uh, it was a story that I came up with. He and I plotted it together, and then uh, he he got me a first draft, and then I made a second draft, and then we went back and forth and created it. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you because I know that uh, listeners who are authors might be curious. So we've had different authors on the show who co-written some shorter pieces. Uh, not as long, uh -huh. but uh, how, do, how do you do that? You, you mentioned he, he does the first, y'all plot together. Does that mean you use, uh, you share uh, just plot points with each other and then work it over? Or how, how does that work? Well, we kind of go over. Uh, in, in, see, here's the trick. 
we're writing these books to my audience, so they've got to be written with my voice. They can't be written in Grant's voice. They have to be written in my voice because we're selling it to my people. <laughs> so there's the trick. Now, in fairness to Grant, I mean, he, he, he can't, he's not me, so he's not, he, he doesn't write like me. He writes like him, but he's also a trained co-writer, so he learns how to adapt. He, uh, he wrote brilliantly like Clancy, like Cussler, and, he, and he's adapting. And so I just told him, let's plot the book. So we kind of generally plotted through where we wanted it to go, how we wanted it to end, how we wanted everything to play out, who the characters were, some of their motivations. Not every detail, but enough. And the actual story idea was one I had that, that would not have worked very well with Cot Malone, but it worked perfect for him, for Luke. And we, uh, he just wrote the whole book, the whole draft sent me the book, and I took six weeks, and I just rewrote the book. And when I rewrote the book, I put it in my voice. And then he learns from that. And now the second one probably will not, you know, hopefully will be a lot more in my voice. By the third one, he, he'll have the That's voice. That's great. And then my, then my work would be more editing, right. not rewriting. Yeah. And that's what you, that's where I'd like. To Do you be. use any special tools, either when you're plotting individually or with someone else, or is it just uh... – no, he uh, Grant likes uh, what's called mind meld. It's a it's kind of a graphic thing that you put things around. He likes to do that. I just sketch it on a piece of paper. <laughs> so I'm a little more old school and just sketch it out. But he and I just go through it and we kind of do it chapter by chapter for about the first 15, 20 chapters mm -hmm. of where we want this thing to go. And then he's got the idea then and we've got it. OK, we know we're going to go take it and go. And then my job is to put it into my voice when it comes back, because I know those characters much better than he does. And it's not fair to him. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't know to do that. But it works out great. And as we do more of these, he'll get my voice even, you know, he'll get more and more of the voice. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, let's do this. Um, I've got some more questions, uh, including some writing life questions. But you've got a little reading for us from the book. Uh, you want to set that up and uh, do that for us? This is a, a little a little quick scene where Cotton has found himself kind of kidnapped. He was sort of made, rendered unconscious, taken somewhere. He's got himself free. He's made his way into the main house, trying to find out where, where he is and what's going on here. Why am I here? What, what, how did I get here? Who are these people? So this is just a short little scene almost, you know, from around the first third of the novel that kind of sets that up of, of how he finds out. Cotton stepped into the cozy room where a fire raged inside a stone heart. Heavy embroidered curtains lined with gold trim bordered tall windows. Bookcases filled one wall. Its owner apparently loved antiques. They were everywhere. Chairs, tables, accessories, lamps, desks. Clearly no interior designer had cobbled this room together. No, this was a personal statement crafted by the castle's owner. He noticed an LED monitor on the desk. The screen split into four images, one of which was the wine cave where the man he'd taken down still lay. I do hope you didn't hurt him, his host said. It might leave a mark or two. It's his own fault. I told him to be careful, but it was exciting to see you in action. He stared around, trying to gauge just exactly what he'd managed to get himself into. Paintings dotted the stucco walls. Monks in prayer, lords and ladies, the arch archangel Michael and his sword directing anxious wayfarers to heaven. A finely carved cabinet was filled with a collection of colorful drinking steins, 
Not everything was a period piece, yet it all fit. A mahogany clock with brass movements read 10.50 p.m. Is that my knife? the man asked. I borrowed it. Hope you don't mind. Not at all. If it makes you more comfortable to hold it, then please do. Who are you? My name is Mark Finn. Is that supposed to mean something to me? I'm the Grand Master of the Google Miner. And what is that? Ah, the better question, Herr Malone, is why is that? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great setup because I can't pronounce uh, the name of that uh, group that you just described, but uh, let's talk about them for a second because they are a real thing, right? They're real. They're real. The Google, I, I said Google Miner. Uh, I'm waiting to get my audio to see how Scott Brick actually pronounces that because he's very good with all of that. And what I do is I actually listen to that. And once I see how he pronounces it, that's how I do it from now on. But for right now, I'll call it the Google Miner. They are they also call the Black Hoods because they wear they actually look like the Ku Klux Klan dressed up, but in black instead of white. They're an old organization going back to medieval times. They used to be. Uh, they are to participate in funerals and burials. They would accompany people to the grave and put them in the grave. They were very big with King Ludwig II. They were at his funeral, and they still remain a group today bent on Bavarian secession. They would like Bavarian independence, and they do a lot of publicity stunts and other things. So when the readers read the book, they can Google, they can Google the Google Miner and figure and and see what I'm talking about, see some of their latest activities. Yeah, well, you mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast uh, about the mystery surrounding his death. They're, they're, they're quite interested in that too as well, right? Very much so. They contend that he was murdered. There's no question in their mind he was murdered. We have no idea. We really truly have no idea how Ludwig died. He, he and his doctor went for a walk. Uh, two hours later, they were found drowned in the lake. There was no evidence of foul play that one group says, the Google Miner says, no, no, there was a bullet hole and other things. Uh, interestingly, they've never exhumed Ludwig's body to take a look at it, which might answer a lot of questions. Uh, no one really knows. Uh, I offer my own explanation in the novel, which is not actually mine, but another writer who came up with it. And I, I like that explanation, so I sort of adopted it. I reference that in the writer's notes. So you, if you want to read that book, you can go read it and, and take a look at it. Um, I, but again, we, we just don't know. Yeah. Well, it was a fun book. I enjoyed reading it. Uh, you, you do are kind of the master of the, of the fast pace and the short sentence. Is that something you learned uh, early on or is that something you sort of? No, that's something I learned. In today's world, you got to have short words, short sentences, short paragraphs, short chapters, uh, uh, particularly in thrillers. Uh, anything more than that, you risk losing the reader because it just Today, they want it fast, and they want it quick. What, are the, what do the publishers say about the length of the books? Because I noticed this one was over 400 pages. Do, do you, yeah, this one this one was uh, 112,000 words, which is a little long for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get down around 100, yeah. but uh, it skipped up. What made this book a little bit bigger, and I was really glad they did it, they went with a little larger font oh, okay. this time. And, and I really like the font being a little bit larger. So it's a little easier to read. And that made, of course, a little more paper. Yeah. Paper today is a precious commodity. Uh, well, that justifies it then because I'm a big believer uh, as I aged <laughs> with the bigger the bigger font. Yeah, there's a definitely bigger print here. I'm trying to get down to 100 to 105, 95 to 105 be yeah. better. But writing shorter is harder. Yeah. Much harder, much, much harder. 
and and I'm trying to cut it down, and I'm making a good effort. Next year's book is 108, so I got down mm-hmm. there, and you know I'm I'm slowly getting it down to around a hundred thousand words. Well, the last time you're on the show, both on the regular podcast and on our Patreon channel, we we dove into your writing origins. We talked about rejection some, but I don't think we talked that much about book marketing and promotion. And I'm I'm just curious, uh, you know. You've written all these books. You've got all these books sold around the world, but you're still involved in, in going on podcasts. Thank you for coming on this one and also promoting your books. And, you know, yes. just for those out there who are thinking about getting into this uh, thing called writing and publishing, uh, talk about the promotional side of the business a little bit, uh, maybe what you do versus what your publisher does and uh, what writers have to look forward to when they publish a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, you just can't write a book and say I'm done. Uh, that doesn't work that way anymore. So you've got to be involved in the promotion of it. I do a lot of, 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 hand, of interviews. They send questions that I have to answer. I, we've been doing that now for the last month, pretty steady. We do radio interviews like we're doing right now. Uh, I'm going on tour. I'm actually going to be in Charlotte. Uh, I will be there on February 25th at 2 p.m. at Park Road Books. So I will, I will be there. Uh, I'll be doing eight days on tour. You have to do all of these things today. And you have to be a marketing person and a PR person as as well as a writer. And you can't just, you can't, you can't forget that. You can't put that aside. Uh, Someone told me once, you can write the greatest book in the world, but if no one knows it exists, who cares? Yeah, that's true. And that's the whole point of publicity. Publicity and marketing is about letting people know your book is out there. So for those writers out there, you got to get ready. I, I have a website we maintain. We're getting ready to update it very shortly to a new format and new things. You have to do that about every three to five years. I have a Facebook page, fan page that we interact with all day long. Uh, these are all things you've got to do in order to generate uh, buzz about your book. We'll get the word out about Parker Books. This episode is going to come out right about that time. So that's good. We're, we're a big fan of Parker. big fan of Parker Books. Uh and uh, so a couple of the questions here. Um, you're a big supporter of other authors. Uh, in fact, uh, Tammy Liano, who's a medical thriller writer, she's, gonna, she's been on the podcast. She's actually going to be doing an audio blog post on this same episode here. When I was talking to her recently about her audio blog post that we're going to feature, she uh, told me that uh, she was in your house with some other writers getting a tour at one time. Talk about... Yes, <laughs> talk about... Uh, you know, these things you do with other authors and why you do them? Well, what we did there, uh, about 10 writers came down to Orlando for the day, and I uh, kind of held class and taught them for the day. And uh, when we were done, they wanted to see the house, so we brought them <laughs> over, and, and uh, we had uh, had a nice lunch there. It was, a, it was a fun day. I haven't taught in a while. It's been a, it's been a couple of years because of COVID. I haven't really taught much. So it was fun to, to do that again. And I, 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 I do that, and I enjoy doing it. Um, I do blurbs. I blurb books about 25 to 30 a year. I blurb uh, new writers or existing writers if they ask me to do it. But uh, most of them are new writers with people just starting out. Um, People did it for me. And so I owe it back. And so I hope that the people I'm doing it for will one day do it for someone else. That's great. That's the whole idea. Well, um, we've got a quote book coming out, uh, actually a series of quote books for the podcast coming out for the fr- from the first four years of the podcast. And uh, you're in 
several of these books. I want to I want to give you a couple of quotes you said you might have forgotten. Let's see if you still stand by them here for a second. Uh, you, you said okay. uh, anybody, any age, any time. That's the great thing about writing. It's an acquired skill, and anyone can acquire it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You just have to have the discipline and the will to do it. But anybody can acquire. It's nothing magical here. You can teach yourself the craft of writing. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you said you're born with that little voice in your head, that little voice that tells you to keep going. And it's the only thing that keeps you going because without that little voice, we quit. That's exactly what happens. And, and even with the little voice, people quit. You know, 90% of all writers do not finish what they start. And that's that's a sad commentary on it. But that's exactly true. You're born with a little voice. You're not born a writer. you got to learn the craft. But you are born with that little voice in you. Yeah, and then this uh, last one I really like, because I was a lawyer at one time, too. And it says, I control the conflict in fiction. I can stop it and start it. Unfortunately, in real life, I have no control over conflict whatsoever. <laughs> oh, that's very true. And particularly... Practicing law, what I did, I watched a lot of conflict, a lot of conflict. And uh, I did divorces, criminal defense, everything. I had literally no control over it. You did, you're, like a, you're like watching a play happening in front of you, and you just, it's just going. It's a, down there. But, but writing's different. Yeah. Writing, I'm in total command of those. Books. That's right. You can go in, you control exactly how it turns out. It, it... Anything I want to do, I can do. Too. I, can, I can actually cross them off the whole page if I want to. <laughs> Takes yeah. the stress out of yeah. Well, what what is something uh, if, if if you were gonna you know kind of put at the top of the list of the kind of things that uh, you know thriller writers ask you or readers ask you about writing? Uh, what what are some of the top things they want to know from you? How they can be me? <laughs> you How know, they can that's, sell twenty five million that's books, right? <laughs> right, and like like I would ask David Baldacci or John Grisham, <laughs> "How can I be exactly. you? You know, I want to be them." So yeah, that's they want to do that, but. What 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 I try to tell them is, is that there's no easy way to do that. There is no easy fix. It's a slow process. It takes time. It takes a long time. And it's harder today than it used to be because of ebooks and because of all the other things that are competing for people's attention today. So I, I, I get asked that a lot. You know, basically, they don't really ask it that way, but their question really means. You, you know, that. that's what they want to know, right? <laughs> right, right. How can I be you? Well, the great thing is you actually can be me and I could be Baldacci and Grisham, but some things have to go right for all that to happen. And we have to do the right things, but the harder you work, the luckier you get. And that's, that's what they have to keep in mind at all times. But am I right that um, it's still something you got to put effort into and you still have to, every still day. have to learn this craft every day, every day. The only thing about writing is you. the only thing you hope for is what you wrote today is a little bit better than yesterday, and what you write tomorrow is a little bit better than today. That's as good as it gets. It doesn't really get any better than that. You just try to do a little better every day. You never get good at it or great at it. You just get a little bit better at it each time. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, you mentioned a couple of things that are coming out. Are you going to be co-writing while you're also writing another Cotton Malone, or are you kind of— okay. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the only way I could do it. Grant works on the first draft. Once he gets that to me, I stop what I'm doing and then I rewrite that book and then get it back to him and then go back what I'm doing. All right. So I just we've scheduled it in. We've actually set up a schedule for the next three years so we know where everything, how everything's going to happen. So another thing about writing too, you gotta, it's a discipline and you got to set a schedule, you got to stick to the schedule, and you got to make it happen because it's our job. Our number one job is to turn that manuscript in on time. Well, that's interesting, Wilma. 
one of my co-authors and I, she's a novelist uh, as well, and uh, we're going to play around with a little novella uh, co-writing it called The Podcast Murders because we're podcast hosts, and they're going to find out that somebody, one of their upcoming guests, has it in mind to murder them, and so we're going to have fun. We're oh, have fun pl- have fun with fun, it. Have fun playing around with that, you know? Have fun with it. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes, and then maybe we can talk about what co-writing is all about, but... Uh, and you'll see what it's like. And, uh, you know, it works different for everybody. Some people trade back and forth. Some people, it, it, whatever you were, it worked. I thought it'd be better if one person wrote the first draft yeah, yeah. And, and get it out. And then the second person, me, because I have to put it in my voice, has to, to go back through it. And what I do, I essentially can, can get an entire novel in my voice with my plot the way I want it in about six weeks. But Grant takes a year to write it. You know, and then I get it, and I take about six weeks to rewrite. Yeah, that, that's the perfect uh, solution, right? Have somebody else spend a year writing it, and then you rewrite it. <laughs> write that first draft. That's what I. If they can get that first draft done, yeah. and and I will tell you, I made substantial changes to it. I mean, there's a lot of changes that I made, but they occur to me as I'm as I'm right. going through it. And the great part is, I don't have to sit down and plot every aspect of that in the beginning. I just have to take what he's got and expand on. Right. Well, maybe next time after a couple of those come out, we'll get the two of you on the show together and we'll talk about how that works. That'd be great. It comes out, like I said, June 27th is the next All right, one. That sounds Let's great. See. Well, look, Steve, thank you again for coming on and sharing uh, with us your latest, uh, The Last Kingdom. Uh, it's a wonderful read. Listeners, uh, check it out and uh, look for Steve at Parco Books. On, tell, tell us that date again. I'll be there February 25th uh, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And they can find the book anywhere in bookstores and then go to steveberry.org and learn all about me. That sounds great. Steve, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the cost of this podcast, please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out. And in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Weir's podcast and join up. You can cancel any time, by the way, and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute. All right, here we are in uh, Act 2, the writing topics. We've got a tip from Charlotte. Uh, we've also got a blog post. The uh, Charlotte tip is by Paul Reale. It's part three in a series on scenes, and this one is uh, when to focus on details. So we're going to play that. We'll be right back to discuss it, uh, but let's hear from Paul. Hi, I'm Paul Rialli from Charlotte Lit with a two-minute writing tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is the last of three tips about adding detail to your writing. Good description is essential in prose, and it's a place many writers struggle. In this tip, let's focus on when in the writing process you should focus on details. Think for a moment about how you work through drafts. How much detail do you put down in the first draft? We all have our own process, but I recommend that in the first draft, you put down only the detail that's necessary for you to see the scene you're setting. Concern yourself more with getting the story down. Here are four reasons why you don't want to spend too much time on detail in the first draft. One, there's a chance you'll cut the scene later. Two, as the story evolves, the details that matter might change. Three, you're more likely to find yourself with darlings, nicely written details that you're loath to remove, even though they no longer fit, which is the definition of a darling. 
And four, you might change the scene significantly who the point of view character for that scene is or where it takes place or when it happens in the story. All of which can and almost certainly will change what detail you choose to show and what you write about it. The first draft for most writers is discovering the story you're telling. Hold the detail until you know what detail you need. For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Litt, listen to Beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelitt.org slash tips. All right. Uh, this interesting um, and very thought-provoking as usual for these tips. Uh, uh, let's um, let's dive in. Sir, your thoughts? Well, I think what Paul is saying makes a lot of sense because for so many writers, I think a big struggle is just getting something finished, you know, just getting to the end of that first draft. Um, and if you're really belaboring every scene and every single line, then it can be harder to just get the story out there. Whereas if you just get something that has a beginning and a middle and an end, then you're a lot more likely, I think, to go back through and, and make changes and add those details or change the details as you need to. Um, I do think some of it kind of depends on what you're writing or the genre of what you're writing. Like for me, if I'm writing something that leans a little bit more literary, then the details will tend to be more important. So I might put more emphasis on those in a first draft. Whereas if I'm writing something that's kind of more plot-based um, or like a screenplay where you know details aren't as important anyway, then I'm more focused on just getting the story out um, because that's the main thing. But for me, I, I will admit, if I'm writing something that's leaning a little bit more literary, I do love those details. So <laughs> sometimes I'll, I'll spend some time on them in the first draft. But then, like Paul was saying, you do have to be really rigorous with yourself about killing your darlings and being willing to cut stuff if it doesn't end up fitting the, the final product. Well, fortunately, I don't have to worry about that since uh, nobody's going to accuse me of being a literary fiction writer. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to fall into that trap. But I, I, I get your point, though. Uh, and uh, I think one question, Hannah, you can maybe talk about this, too, is maybe what kind of details we're talking about here. Because as, I, as I'm thinking about details, there's some details that are sort of uh, pertinent to the through line of the story, you know, where it's going to happen, you know, what's happening in real time. But But maybe what we're talking about here are the senses, you know, uh, sight, sound, smell, touch, taste, you know, feeling, that kind of thing. Some of that uh, I know that I do naturally in my writing. Uh, some of it I have to go back later. Maybe it's whatever it is for you that you have to typically go back later and do. Maybe that's what we're talking about here. Don't spend all your energy in that first draft worrying about getting all those things in there because, you know, you might Hannah write better or Sarah write better um, – you know, the smell and the touch and the taste, and I might do the sight and the sound better or something, and that might be what naturally comes out of my first draft. So maybe it's the idea of do what's natural to you in that first draft, uh, but don't go back and beat yourself up and get it all packaged up in a bow before you move on because these are good points Paul makes. You may cut it out entirely. Uh, it may not be, I mean, the storyline could change. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think that kind of ties into the last tip that he gave in this series just about the types of details. Um, I think that's, it's like you're saying, it could be, you know, for some stories, it could be this this touch or the way something smells. In other stories, it could be how someone feels or, um, you know, is describing a scenario or something like that. So it is kind of an interesting thing where you think about like it could, every everybody's different and your process is different. Um, and something I thought about a lot too is just, it's interesting. I like this tip a lot because I feel like it's something 
for me, I could just think about and do like, that's really good advice to just like keep moving. Cause I think I've said in a previous episode, you know, I'm like a purger. So I like, when I write, I'm always like, let me get all of it out. <laughs> like every single thing. And I kind of got. That, that really surprises me, Hannah, uh, that you like it? that. that uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> yeah. Fire, fire, fire. Yeah, Let's like, go, go, you know go, that go, Jim Carrey yeah, meme? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. a lot of you guys will know what I'm talking about, where he's just like, all you can see are his hands typing yeah. on the uh, computer or whatever. Anyway, yeah. that's me. I like, yeah, that's I like you. to just okay. get it all out there. And, I th right. and I've heard other writers say that, though, too. It's just like you just per you get it all out there and then you kind of go back and take things out like you revise that way. But I think for for, uh, you know, me or other people who are kind of do get stuck on, like you're saying, detail just in general, it's kind of a good way to look at it to just say, like, OK, just get to the next point and then you can go back and beef it up. It's just I feel like it's advice you can really kind of apply to your own practice. Yeah. So, uh, Sarah, uh, you've heard us. Uh, you get the last word on this one. Um, well, I think another thing that's helpful to think about with this is applying this mentality to your revisions, too, because I know like if I'm reading someone else's work and I know that they're at an early stage and they're probably going to end up changing a lot of things, too, then I'll focus my notes on the kind of bigger picture story, character development sort of questions. And I won't really give them as much notes on the uh, the kind of line level detail sort of scope of it. Um, and same way with my own writing. If I've just done a first draft and I go back through and I revise, I try to focus on the bigger picture and the story. Sometimes I'm tempted to still go in and like <laughs> really work the sentences and the details, but I, I try not to focus too much on that stuff because I know a lot of it's going to change anyway. So it's helpful to sort of recognize where you are in the process, I think, so that you're not wasting your time. Well, that's going to be a good segue to our uh, blog post, which is on critique groups. You mentioned this point about uh, not providing certain kind of feedback. I think that's important because early in the writing process, some people in critique groups want to critique everything, right? You know, down to the to the word, you know, to the comma, to the semi. And a lot of times, as you just said, sir, that's not necessary in these early stages. You're, you're really more in the developmental process and that stuff, you know, can come later. Um, so I would say that if you are workshopping something, uh, let people know what it is you're interested in hearing about, you know, um, if it's about character development or if it's about the plot um, or something else that's, uh, you know, we can leave all the, as Paul says, the details alone for later. Yeah, good, good. Hey, thanks, Paul, for that. Uh, very helpful. Um, we're going to um, hear now about uh, how you can become uh, an author on the podcast. And we're coming back uh, then with our community blog post. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottemeaderspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play, or participate in an author or marketing talk, or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750-word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. All right. Well, every now and then we stumble into some synergy here on the show. We, uh, <laughs> As you know from listening to the to my interview of Steve Barry, uh, we talked about Tammy Luiano touring his house with some other thriller writers and... Uh, 
how that came about. Um, and uh, she has been on the show before, fantastic writer. She's uh, got a medical background, so she's writing these medical thrillers. But um, her blog post is titled Challenges of a Critique Group. I think you're going to enjoy this. Uh, tell us uh, about Tammy, Sarah. Sure. So Tammy, like you alluded to, um, she he has a day job as a physician, researcher, and educator at the University of Florida. So that helps to inspire her writing. She's received numerous teaching awards. She has about 100,000 views of her YouTube teaching videos, and she was featured in a calendar of women inventors. I love that. <laughs> um, she writes short stories, but also her first medical thriller, Fatal Intent, was published by Ocean View in 2021. Kathy Reichs called it medical suspense as sharp as it gets. Then the sequel, Misfire, just came out in January. Michael Connolly, best-selling author of the Bosch series, called it a first-rate medical thriller. Yeah, that's really high praise, and I enjoyed uh, the first book, which we featured on the podcast. And you can go back and listen to that uh, episode. Just go to our guest list at the podcast website. You can find it there. You can just scroll back through uh, the episodes on your podcast app. But uh, let's hear what uh, Tammy has to say about uh, the evolution of her participation in critique groups. Challenges of a critique group. Though a solitary pursuit, writing is ideally not only for the writer. We hope someone else will find something resonant, entertaining, enlightening in our words. As such, at some point, we need someone else to read and critique our writing. Even Lee Child and Louise Penny have someone read their work before it hits the bookstore shelves. Through many fits and starts, I've found a system that works for me. Hopefully, some of you can learn from my experience, or at least find humor in it. In the beginning... When I first decided to start writing, I joined my local Writers Alliance and was placed in an existing critique group. This was pre-COVID, and we met in person at the library. The group was eclectic, including a 70-plus-year-old former university professor writing a memoir, a woman of similar vintage writing cozy short stories, or at least she apparently had in the past, she wasn't currently writing, a retired English teacher who had a thing for punctuation and Oxford commas, a 40-something man writing a sci-fi superhero robot fantasy, and a 20-year-old writing something within a video game. The latter insisted on naming people with unpronounceable words that included numbers and other keyboard characters. They would make great passwords, but not much else. None of us was published, very much the blind leading the blind. Blinder still because of the mishmash of genres and the fact that I came in in the middle of their manuscripts and no one had anything resembling a synopsis or knew the word synopsis, including me. Soon after I joined, the two oldest members dropped out. I'm calling that a coincidence. Then the English teacher and video game dude started taking umbrage with each other's critiques. Guess which one of them called it umbrage. A couple meetings later, threats were exchanged. I missed the next meeting and soon after received an email asking whether I was comfortable with our youngest member remaining in the group after he went over the table to physically attack the comma policeman. Needless to say, I dropped out of that group. And then I tried a few online groups that lasted anywhere from weeks to months. We didn't meet or even Zoom back then, just emailed critiques back and forth. Not bad, but nothing really clicked for me. I tried another group, but they were mostly literary and wrote stories where I kept suggesting that something needed to happen. They kicked me out. I tried savvy authors critique partner speed dating and swapping chapters and whole manuscripts with people I met at meetings, but nothing lasted more than a few swaps. Then two things happened. ITW, International Thriller Writers, decided to start a critique group system, and I volunteered to be one of the founding members and facilitators, 
and Mystery Writers of America had room in a new critique group. I decided to do both. What works for me? My MWA group is all Florida-based mystery writers led by a very successful cozy author, Cheryl Holland, and includes the author of the Sin City Investigations series, J.D. Allen, as well as two unpublished but not inexperienced authors who are writing mysteries. We submit 2,500 words, critique each other's submission with track changes in Word, then meet by Zoom every other week to, to review the critiques. Four of us meet in person for a weekend retreat every few months. Meanwhile, our ITW critique groups got off the ground after a very formal system was developed and approved. Our leader is an attorney. The group I facilitate meets monthly with a fairly similar setup, though we are all published thriller authors in various sub-genres from around the country and Canada. At last, I've found the critique groups that are helping me become a better writer and that hopefully will stick together. The input I'm receiving is so insightful and is improving my manuscripts as I write. I'm also learning from reading these authors' words critically. So what's different this time? I'm more experienced, of course, so I know what I need from my partners. And my manuscripts start off a bit cleaner. And I lucked into great people. But I also find value in the fact we're writing in and knowledgeable about the same genre. So my recommendations. Participate in genre-specific writing organizations, MWA, ITW, RWA, etc., that offer critique groups. Join a group on a trial basis to make sure you fit. Learn how to write a useful critique and then be prepared to learn. Happy writing. All right. Well, um, sir, I'm going to you first because I, I joke that you that you hold uh, you collect uh, critique groups <laughs> like you might be a stamp collector or bo- bottle cap collector or something. So I'm going to give you a first shot at you this. You know, I so. love a critique group. <laughs> um, I will say I've definitely had drama in some of my critique groups, but Ooh. no physical altercations. So <laughs> we haven't yeah, gotten to that level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to hear her stories and I think she made a lot of good points there and, and her point about, um, finding something that's specific to your genre, I think it's really useful. Like if you can join an organization, like she was mentioning mystery writers of America or something that's germane to what specifically you're writing and then find critique groups or critique partners within that, that might be a good idea. Um, even if you can't find something that's a whole group just dedicated to your genre, if you can try to find a group or at least maybe one or two writers in it. Um, have written something that's similar to what you're writing or at least read it and enjoy that type of writing. It's good to be able to talk to people who are conversant in the specifics of the genre that you're working in. Um, But I think there's also some value in getting feedback from people with other perspectives too. I mean, I, I get pretty radically different notes sometimes depending on who's reading it and, you know, who they are, what their background in life is, um, what type of writing they do, whether it's like fiction, screenwriting, poetry, or within fiction, more specific genres that they might pursue. Um, and so sometimes it is helpful to get that range of of feedback and get that range of perspectives. And it just wakes you up to things that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. I don't think I've ever put you on the spot and asked you how many groups you're actually in. So. I don't know. <laughs> are there it probably means I'm in too many. Do you have like horror stories from them like this? <laughs> I I know uh no like brawling, but yeah, there's been some, some Have you left the groups <laughs> or like how do you you just like Um there was well there was one group that kind of fell apart okay. because of some personal drama that was going on, but yeah, but most of them aren't like well, that. I remember going to a conference once and on the second day one of the people who was participating 
after you'd sit around, you'd let, you know, 12 people would attack your work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> I mean, the other way to look at it is 12. But, but this is one of those things that people were trying to show how impressive they were by giving as much critique as they could. Yeah. You know, it was one of the, nobody knew anybody, mm-hmm. right? But so everybody's unloading on everybody, you know, and this guy couldn't take it. He, he went to about three of them. He was really irritated. And he just got up and said, this is ridiculous. And he was leaving, not necessarily because the critiques were, because he was convinced that everybody was wrong and he was right, which is sort of the wrong way. In fact, this is great. We're going to do something in a couple of months. Sarah's written about how to receive feedback. Right, mm-hmm. Sarah, and it's uh, probably not to go across the table at somebody. <laughs> yeah. Like what it doesn't happens. really not, help. Not the first move <laughs> I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, you know it is hard. So we'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, uh, and somebody needs to write a little short. Story I was about, about to say that I was like, you should t- you know yeah. take the podcast <laughs> murders and like do volume two as like the critique club killings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Critique Club murders. How about that? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Hannah, what are your thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I love that post. And I, I, again, like, love how we have the authors read their own writing. I think it adds a lot of personality to what they're saying. And she was so funny and obviously was able to find humor in a lot of these kind of crazier scenarios. Um, so, I mean... I love the idea, too, of just testing different groups because chances are it's like the first one isn't going to be your perfect fit and you're not going to connect with the other people in there. And you never really know, um, you know, what kind of writing style they'll have or what they're looking for. If they're trying to just trying to impress everyone, kind of like you were just saying in the group that you were visiting. But um, it's, it's like you just kind of trial and error, see what works. And I love that she's found people that she can go on mountain retreats with and like talk about writing and all sorts of things like that and just kind of like feed off of their creative energy. So it's kind of like, I feel like the post is funny and it's also truthful in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of value in finding a critique group that works for you, but also encouraging, like, don't give up on the first shot. Just, just keep giving, keep testing the waters. You'll find one that works for you. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have to remember that uh, critique groups are time consuming. I mean, it's either you can run a podcast yeah. or you can be in a bunch of critique groups. All those I know, Sarah, like, I just don't yeah. sleep. <laughs> Seriously. <It's>, uh, <laughs> and, and, and so, but, but, but one middle ground probably, maybe if you've got the time, is to Sarah's point, get in a genre specific group of people that you can work with who, who know about that particular <clears throat> genre and what people, what the expectations are. But also have a few beta readers that are just, readers who like to read and uh, enjoy it, who can look at it and go, I don't understand this. And that doesn't, that's not clear to me or whatever. Um, and because what I hear from this is that Tammy's writing uh, became much more productive and you can see it. I mean, look, they're changing 2,500 words every two weeks. So they're getting a lot of production feedback wise uh, over the course of, uh, you know, two or three months there. So that's good, good stuff. Um all right. Well, Tammy, thank you for that. Uh, uh, appreciate it. And uh, folks, go out and get her book. Uh, the first one was great. I'm sure the next one's going to be just as uh, as fun as well. So uh, check that out. And we'll be coming right back in just a moment uh, with our uh, Act 3 uh, with some book recommendations. Uh, but uh, here's a little bit about our newsletter. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts. 
leandiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right, we're in Act 3, book recommendations. And uh, before I forget it, I was going to drop it in just a minute ago, but uh, Tammy uh, actually provided an elevator pitch uh, for a book. So let's hear that uh, among our book recommendations here, and then we'll we'll, uh, go to Sarah with her recommendation. Misfire by Tammy Uliano. A device that can save a life is also one that can end it. Dr. Kate Downey returns in this heart-stopping thriller. A new implanted defibrillator misfires, causing the heart rhythm problem it's meant to correct, and Kate's beloved Aunt Erm has one. Bypassing obstructionist cardiologists, Kate uncovers a plot of revenge and greed. The misfires are attacks. Amid disappearances and murders, she will stop at nothing to protect patients and the ones she loves. That's kind of crazy thinking of all the people I know who have defibrillators in that someone could use it <laughs> as a weapon, you know, to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to go after people and you have to solve the murder. Who who did that? Who put that in? Thanks, Tammy, for that. That's great. Uh, all right, Sarah, what are you recommending this week? So I've been reading or listening to on Libro.fm um, a book called Meredith Alone by Claire Alexander, which is contemporary fiction. Um, it takes place in Glasgow, and it's um, about this young woman who lives alone in her apartment, and she's kind of a shut-in. She hasn't been outside, I think, at the point the book starts for over a year. Um, and there's some kind of traumatic events with her family and her past that uh, sort of led up to her getting to this state. So the book lives in the present day, but it also goes back into her past with growing up and with her family and and other things that have happened to her um, to lead her up to this point. And when the book starts, there's this guy who works for um, a local kind of social services organization who's come into her life and is basically trying to help her reintegrate into the world. So it it was an interesting book. And I I thought it was a very sensitive portrayal um, of mental health issues. Also, the Glasgow setting is nice. I, I just feel like it's nice to read things that are set in other places and see kind of the lifestyle of another country, another um, community. So, yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, Scotland, where it's Ooh, always wet. Exactly. You know, except, uh, <laughs> I love... <laughs> misty. Misty is what my <laughs> wife calls it. Yeah, Misty. Uh, so what do you got, Hannah? Yeah, so this is a book that I'm excited to read. It was recommended by our local bookstore here in Charleston, Buxton Books. It's called Wayward by Amelia Hart. Um, and it sounds like it's kind of a, a story that takes crazy takes place in multiple different time eras so most recently it kind of starts out with a woman in 2019 she's kind of trying to get away from an abusive husband and it ends up like she goes down this rabbit hole and discovers all of these secrets about her family um there's i think it's her great grandmother or something was on put put on trial for witchcraft so it's kind of like it sounds like it's across a few different genres there's some magical elements um you know Going, talking about themes like abuse and recovering from trauma and stuff like that. So kind of all the things I like roped into a nice package. So I'm looking forward to it. That's great. Well, mine is another uh, writing book gift I received that uh, I kind of <clears throat> thumbed through recently. Uh, it's called Meander, Spiral, Explode by Jane Allison. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, it's not so much a how-to craft book. It's sort of an analysis of... Um, uh, the different ways that uh, prose can come together to complete uh, a book, uh, you know. So if you're if you're familiar with the uh, all the normal structures that involve you know three acts or uh, reversals and that kind of thing, this explores all the different ways that stories get told. And and the words in the 
title of the book kind of explain it. Some some books meander, some spiral out, some explode, some uh, rivet. Uh, I mean, it's, it's talking about time, space, and everything. So it might make some readers uncomfortable to see some books written with some of these uh, techniques, but it's just different ways of uh, actually putting the book together. So if you've totally figured out as a writer all those uh, you know traditional genre-based uh, commercial fiction structures and you want to look at something that's probably more literary uh, based and using a lot of short stories and that kind of thing with echoes and things that come back, check this book out, Meander, Spiral, Explode by Jane Allison. All right, and we got uh, one from Mark West. Uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's another book from 50 years ago. <laughs> Hello, this is Mark West with the storied Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is a novel that came out 50 years ago this year, that is in 1973. This novel is Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut. Breakfast of Champions is a very innovative and sort of surreal novel. It focuses on two main characters, Dwayne Hoover, who runs a successful car dealership, and Kilgore Trout, who is a rather unsuccessful science fiction writer. This novel stretches the boundaries of realism, that is for sure, but it explores the nature of American life in the 1970s and really stretches the reader's imagination. I highly recommend it. Thank you. All right. Uh, Mark's being nostalgic this month, looking back 50 years. That's great. Uh, giving us some of those uh, classics uh, from the time. Um, all right. We got a little spot we play t- sometimes on social media, but not going to do that now. Just check us out and follow us on social media. You can, Find us on Instagram, Facebook, Charlotte's Podcast, that kind of thing. Uh, we're going to jump right into what's coming next uh, with uh, Sarah. So what's coming next, Sarah? So next time we're going to have um, a feature with debut author Alex Kenna in her novel, What Meets the Eye, which is the first in the Kate Miles private detective series. It's a book that combines her interest in oil painting, art forgery, and murder. We also feature Robert Young, author of Vagabond Pilot, A Journey of Discovery and Renewal, um, who's going to be sharing his blog post with us, and that's called Flying and Writing. Without discipline, expect a crash landing. Then we're also going to have a thought-provoking Charlotte Lit two-minute tip by Kathy Collins on symbols in writing, plus our usual elevator pitches and book recommendations. Yeah, and Anna did the uh, interview with Alex. Uh, it was very interesting talking about the connection between art forgery and murder and that kind of thing, so a lot of fun. Um, all right, well, listeners, uh, we want to thank you for uh, giving some of your valuable time to us today. Hannah, you want to take us out today? Yes. Just read on, write on, and rock on, folks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We've added, we've added rock on. Yeah. All right. Rock on, folks. <laughs>